Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone episode 12. I am your host Joe Ambridge and I am here with psychotherapist and relationship counsellor and my co-host Mark Fielding. Oh, hi there. And today's topic is a topic we actually covered in the first episode, um, but we are revisiting it. It's men and mental health. And shortly we'll be joined by uh, one of my best friends and someone that was featured in my film, Anxious Me, um, who will be joining us to talk about the film and also about the stigma behind men and mental health. And just the few like statistics to kind of prove the point that men do bottle things up and it's a bigger deal than people make it out to be. Um, on average, one in eight men will experience depression and one in five men will experience anxiety at some, some stage in their lives. Uh, this is sort of beyond blue. Um, and guys make up an average of seven of every nine suicides every single day in Australia. Um, and obviously we cough, uh, covered suicide in the last episode with Daryl. Um, we were supposed to be doing an episode with the Bait Bean Company, as I mentioned on social media, but we we're rescheduling because we had sound issues. But um, yeah, I would like to introduce our guest now. Um, this uh, Will is one of my best friends from England, and he also featured in Anxious Me, where he spoke about his own mental health with the other people that um, joined me for the film. Hi, Will. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mark. Thank you uh, very much uh, for inviting me on this podcast. Um, coming at you from 11 in the morning uh, in England. A uh, bit overcast clouds, but, you know, classic English weather. So it's all good. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me on. <laughs> so, yeah, well, um, I mean, I can't thank you enough for obviously coming on the podcast. And thank you for joining us for the film. As, obviously, the podcast is about men and mental health and how people, males especially, hide and bottle up their feelings and um, you were brave enough to come and speak on the film about mental obviously your own mental health um, what made you decide that you uh, wanted to kind of open up and speak to people about your own mental health and kind of share your story yeah well th thank you that's a really good question Joe um, I think really it came down to the fact that I was just sick and tired of just being alone and not being able to face it I felt that throughout that if you remember when you actually did that um if you actually did, if I remember correctly, when we actually did that uh, Anxious Me film, that was about a few months after I'd just obviously gone through a really messy breakup with uh, my girlfriend at the time. And it really just did kind of, you know, it was, I was feeling a lot of bad things and stuff. And I actually thought, well, instead of just bottling all in and feel sorry for myself, especially as well when you say that a lot of this idea that the culture were brought up in of, you know, men. Uh, you know, boys don't cry. I was just really just sick and tired of it. And I just thought it's actually better if I just go be open. Don't have to be that brave, but be open. Just talk about what I'm going through and what I'm doing. And I actually feel not just is it better on myself, not just do I feel that I'm getting a sort of like release from the pressure, but I think as well as for some other guys who maybe don't aren't quite there yet to talk about it themselves, hearing me talk about it can really help. Yeah, um, and whereabouts, where are you mentally now? Do you feel like you're in a better position than you were three years ago since we recorded the film? I, I think so, definitely. Um, since I, So since uh, 
in the last three years, uh, I ended up joining, going into a new uh, line of work. I ended up going into recruitment, so high-pressure sales. And as I'm sure you guys can understand, that was quite stressed. And there, there were points, especially during COVID, I was very lucky in the sense I was able to keep my job during COVID, but it was obviously not a lot of people recruiting at the time during um, the pandemic. So it was very hard. Um, but what I've done recently, in the last uh, month or so, I've actually signed up with a NHS um I've signed up with an NHS program. For those who don't know, the NHS is the National Health Service, and they've been slowly over the last few years investing more and more money into mental health um, services. And it's called a company called uh, Sutton Uplift. Sutton is the town that I'm based in in southwest London. And yeah, what it is is that it's a, it's a mental health um, service. And I've actually started doing group cognitive uh, behavioural therapy with um on uh, every monday uh on zoom and it really is actually helping like even like so they're, they're do, doing a lot of stuff with me with like worry diaries um they're doing a lot of stuff I've, I've become much more open about it um with my own boss and my manager who's aware of it as well and yeah you know what it is actually really um it, it's really good it's really good it's really helped me a lot and then one thing as well that i've started exploring quite a lot of um, is actually stuff to do with um, autism and being on the spectrum. I, th I believe we can all agree that everyone really is on the spectrum. And that is something that I'm kind of, in the past, I've kind of maybe not, not wanted to look into it because maybe I was, I suppose I was a bit worried that I thought maybe I was neurodiverse. But it's stuff like that I'm actually looking more and more into. And it is, overall, I'd say definitely the last three years, it's, there's been dips up and down, uh, obviously with COVID, but overall, I'd say I'm in a better position. Oh, it's good to hear. Um one question, obviously we're part of the same friendship group and um, one thing that men don't talk about is mental health and um, uh, I'm sure you agree with our friendship group probably in the last few years that we speak more openly about mental health more compared to other groups, like people are a bit more open, especially since like maybe me and you have been a bit more open and honest about yeah. our mental health that people, uh, I'd hope he doesn't mind me mentioning people like, um, Keith and um, Dan speak up a bit more about their mental health and I think that's the issue with a lot of friendship groups that they don't want to speak up about their mental health mm. because it might make them look less of a man Oh uh, yeah, well I can't speak for um th those people you mentioned, but um I d I will agree overall. Uh, I think yeah, definitely we have uh, we are a bit more open about it, and I think that if anything, there's nothing wrong. There's I don't think there's been any negatives about people being more open about their mental health, um people talking more about it, and yeah, I would agree. I think it is very much a good thing. Um, because like I say, it is you know. I was uh, in a bit of a bad place before I started doing my CBT. And it was just even just the actual, just sitting there and seeing that there were not just other people, but other men my age who went through this. It is something that is uh, opened up. Like I said, the, um, you know, they people can open up and it does make you feel better. And I, th I feel as well, um, companies right now, because I work in the city of London, a lot of companies right now, like my company, Frank Recruitment Group, um, which is a very large, major corporate um, recruitment company. They've uh, started doing a lot of mental health awareness, a lot of uh, mental health. You know, that we've started implementing a Wellness Friday now, so we get to finish work every uh, day, uh, every Friday at four uh, p.m. And we now have uh, flexible working hours, and it's it's very much you know the old uh, the old ways of having to you know be in like eight to eight in recruitment because it is like say high pressure sales having to hit the phones and stuff i think now that people realize and actually that has a detrimental effect on people's mental health especially if they're not doing as good as they would like to be doing is um it's a good thing it's good to see that there is now this cultural shift towards that yeah um 
And you mentioned, you mentioned that you do group cognitive therapy. Um, as um, you know, I did the self-esteem workshop. I, um, I'm not sure if you agree that seeing other people speak about their mental health in a simple, similar situation. Um, my case, when I went to self-esteem workshop, there's people that look like, I don't know, like a, a nightclub bouncer, like good looking and stuff and feel like they probably wouldn't have much confidence issues or mental health issues. Seeing those sort of people in the same situation as you makes you realise that maybe you're not the only one. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think um, a lot of the one of the worst causes and one of the bi- biggest problems I find with depression, uh, and obviously I'm not talking about this from a scientific or psychological uh, point of view. So obviously this is just my own anecdotal evidence. Uh, I do feel uh, the the worst bit about being depressed or having anxiety is you do truly feel you're the only one in the world that deals with this. Like you feel that everyone everyone has the ability to give off a outward look that they're fine and they're doing great. And when you see that, if you have uh, depression, for example, it does not help. It doesn't help you at all because then you feel you're the only one, which then means that you definitely shouldn't mention it to anyone because then you feel like you'll be outcast as, you know, uh, know, stereotypes as being weird or something like that. So, no, definitely. The the fact is that group therapy, I was a bit worried when I first started group therapy because I didn't know how to react to it. I'm now, I'm really happy I did group therapy and I'd rather prefer that to maybe one-on-one single therapy. So, yeah. Yeah, it can be really. I mean, the, the whole group therapy process can be so powerful. And some something that you that, that that you said about yeah, it's so easy to I don't know, especially with men. You know, I mean, men just tend to you know, it's a bit of a generalization, but you know, a, a lot of men tend to just internalize. So they'll present mm. in one way. They'll go go out with their mates. They'll watch the football. They'll talk about sport. They'll you know talk about surface stuff, and that's fine. You know, and so if you're the person in the male group feeling really anxious, or you've got social anxiety or depression or whatever, you, you often feel that you, you that there's not you know there's there's not the space to kind of open up those conversations. You know, but of course, you know, lots you know as many you know, loads of men you know, experience, you know, difficulties with their mental health. And, and often I think in groups, you know, just opening up the conversation in the male group, it's interesting that other people, you know, then can often kind of pick it up and then they'll kind of share, you know, issues that might they might be having about their mental health. And, you know, and anyone can experience mental health issues. We all experience mental health issues, don't we? You know, in different forms at different times of our lives. So, I mean, the fact it gets normalised, you know, amongst men, I think it's kind of happening, isn't it? A little bit in the media, but I think there's a long way to go. Definitely. Yeah, no, I, I do agree uh, with everything you say there, Mark. I think um, it is, uh, you do get a lot of internalization with guys because um, it is, unfortunately, we've just been grown up, brought up for years. I don't know, maybe because of uh, the out, out, out offset of the uh, Second World War or stuff like that. This idea of, you know, boys don't cry. You have to be yeah. big, strong men. I mean, it's like soldiers, this and that. And it's just like kind of, well, actually, no, we're not at war anymore. We don't have to deal with these sorts of things. Um, we have to, you know, we are allowed to be open. We are allowed to talk about this, you know. Weakness, uh, showing humility and showing um, your emotional issues is not weakness. I, I've never seen it as a weakness. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, it's definitely the right step in getting the help you need and kind of even just telling your friend kind of gets the weight off your chest. I definitely feel that we, we've been friends for years and I definitely feel like in the last few years, I feel like I, I can talk to you about anything and feel like I'm not judged. And I did go through a phase when I moved to Australia where I didn't want to admit that I had mental health issues. But... Mm. Um, 
because I felt oh, it's going to be a weakness and I didn't want people to know I was struggling because someone might say, oh, come back, come back home. Maybe you shouldn't be there. And obviously when I went through one of the worst times where I was in the mental health clinic, when I came back home, you were probably one of the most supportive people that were there for me when I came back to London. And I do really appreciate the support you gave me. And that's kind of where I'm glad I have that sort of friendship where others might not have that friendship where they can be open with their friends about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, Joe, and obviously um, not to focus too much on that uh, particular incident, but I think, yeah, definitely. When when we obviously, when you found out that um, obviously your, your girlfriend was going back to Australia and you wanted to go and join her, obviously there was quite rightly some people who were saying, um, oh, is this the right time? Maybe he's a bit too fast, this and that. But to be honest, I, I have to say, mate, I know I wouldn't have been able to have done it, what you did, you know, go, literally just going, I'm just diving head first 12,000 miles away. Um, and yeah, no, obviously, yeah, there was a point where, you know, things didn't quite go to plan. But let's be honest, nothing does go to plan. And at the end of the day, that's not really, that's not necessarily your fault. I mean, it is something that it happened. And I suppose with hindsight, yeah, hindsight's a great thing. But at the, at the end of the day, it's not helping you, nor it's helping it. It doesn't help, it doesn't help you and it doesn't help anyone. If let's say I don't know, you're made to feel bad for those mistakes. The mistakes happen. We don't have time machines. We can't go back in time and change things. Yeah, we all have regrets here and there that we wish we could change stuff around. But guess what? It didn't happen. We moved on, and this is where we are now. You're still in Australia now. You're still seems you're doing great there, which is great to hear. Um, obviously, I do think sometimes twelve thousand miles is a bit too far away. You know, especially when I want to meet up with you for a beer. But you know that this, this is what happens. You know, things are um these things happen, and obviously we we work around them. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, so one of the questions we asked in Anxious Me was um, what coping strategies do you use? Obviously, you do your CBT now. Is there anything else you do when you're at home or you're up? Um, I mean, I was doing CBD oil at the time, if you remember. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I've stopped going off on that. I, I, I stopped doing that. But I think I will get back onto it again, especially with some of the stress. But I think with a lot of it, a lot of it just kind of is. I've started just doing a couple of breathing exercises. Um, I think, yeah, just being able to actually do a bit of breathing. This was actually something that was given to me by my manager, actually. He, uh, yeah, he allowed me, he gave, he told me that sometimes just taking a deep breath, just taking five minutes away from the screen, going for a walk, trying to clear your thoughts, actually does help me a lot. Um, I mean, I was basically, I, I haven't been fully diagnosed, but I went through a online, I went through a telephone call and um, with a mental health specialist. And they said that I most probably had, from looks of it, mild, a mild form of generalized anxiety disorder. Um, but obviously, this isn't a full diagnosis. This is just indications of it. And I probably do have that. Um, but at the end of the day, everyone does in their own, as you said, like one in five people will, one in five men will uh, have uh, anxiety. Well, to be honest, I think it's probably a uh, much uh, smaller number than that. It's probably, I'd say it's probably more like one in three or two. And I think, yeah, yeah definitely. It is, it is one of those things where you have to, yeah, it, you are, it is one of those things where you have to uh, sometimes just take a deep breath, take a, take, you know, take a, be aware of your surroundings. Cause I say, I think sometimes a lot of people can get disassociative and that's what happens where it kind of is a bit like a vicious spiral downwards in that sense. Yeah, really interesting what you said because I guess when they when they do this research, it's you know it's generally self-reported, isn't it? You know, and, and I guess a lot of men are not going to report that they've got anxiety and mental health for all the reasons that we said. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I I wanted to pick up on the CBD oil because I know at the time when when you filmed um, Anxious Me One, you know that was really helping. I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about it and how how it helped. Uh, well, so for those who aren't aware, uh. 
CBD, and I believe it, I I'll have to double check this. I believe it stands for um cannabis uh, oil. So basically, there's two parts to the marijuana plant. There's CBD and THC. THC stands for tetrahydrocannabinoids. THC is the actual um a part of the part of the plant, the marijuana plant that essentially makes you high. That's the one that's actually the illegal part of the plant. However, if you take that away, CBD in itself doesn't actually cause those uh, psychoactive effects or whatever it, well, the term for it is. So it's actually legal. And yeah, what people just found is that actually um, there's been a lot of research into it, especially in America, where obviously they're starting to do a lot of legalization there. And um, it really is showing to be, it really is showing to be very, very effective when it comes to the treatment of people with uh, anxiety and um you know, it, it, with, you know, people uh, who have anxiety and other mental health issues. Uh, I find it very relaxing. I'd say when I used to take CBD, because you can get different strengths of it, uh, I do recommend that you try, if people are interested in taking it, it's good to try and start slowly at maybe like a 5% and build your way up uh, to try and find what you think is, because sometimes it can be a little bit overpowering. Uh, but what I found with it is that when I take it, it would be literally like a warm shower coming down my body. That's kind of the best word to describe it. I felt that, especially all the tension in my uh, in my shoulder, because I can get very stressed and ten uh, tense in my shoulders. Uh, my muscles can get very knotted up easily because of obviously stress. Uh, I felt that it actually relaxed me quite a lot. And then, you know what? It is one of those things where I wouldn't say you, you get high, but I would say that you do kind of, you know, you, you do find it more, very relaxing. So I think uh, definitely it was helping. Uh, unfortunately, I, yeah, I just kind of went off. I, I just uh, I don't know why. I just stopped. I kind of stopped. I think it was doing so well for me. I just had to stop. I, I, I was doing so well with it. I didn't need, think I needed it anymore. So it wasn't like I was getting addicted. So I just stopped. But I think sometimes there are times where I might try and see if I can get back into it again, you know, because I do think it does. It has a lot of good benefits. Yeah, and that's, I think a lot of these, you know, I mean, CBD oil, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've taken CBD oil for sleep if I've had a restless night, got some CBD oil from Holland and Barrett, and, you know, it, mm. it really, really helps, you know, it really helps to kind of chill you out. And, you know, and, and I guess, you know, for, I mean, personal opinion, but there's a lot of research now going into, you know, a lot of things, isn't there? There's, you know, there's, there's cannabis, there's ketamine, there's, there's uh, MDMA, you know, there's a load of research into, you know, using some of these substances in order to help with mental health issues. And I think that's really, really interesting research. And then I guess what you're saying, well, is the CBD oil really helps, but now, you, now you're feeling much better. So I guess you don't really need it at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, I definitely think, yeah, there was a time when I did need it. I think definitely around about Anxious Me um, was a good time to uh, use it. And I think it did help. And um I think, yeah, it does help a bit more. Um, so that, in a way, is a good thing because then it shows that it's not an addictive substance. So you can't get addicted to it, which is great because uh, I think if it's one less thing we need in this world, it's more addictive stuff. <laughs> and, um, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, uh, it's great to hear that, obviously, in Amer in Australia because, obviously, different countries have different laws regarding it. It's good to hear in Australia that you guys do have it. I mean, at first, can I just say, I didn't even know Holland Barrett existed in Australia. So, yeah, that's very uh, cool. My place in the UK. <laughs> uh Oh, really, Mark, Mark? You live in the UK? Bloody hell. Sorry, I yeah, thought you were in yeah. Australia as well. <laughs> no, we, Goodness. We have legalised uh, it over here, though. Well, I think in Canberra, they've legalised it. Yeah, definitely. Well, like I said, it's not part of CBD. It's not part of T. It's not T. It's not THC. And if there is, it's almost like trace elements of it. So it is not like I said. It's not something that will get you high. So mm. UK law, they see it as a legal thing. So I, I hope uh, in Australia they start to do the same thing as well. You know. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, did you, um, in relation to the film, since um, 
the release of the film, did you have anyone come up to you or more anyone speak to you about uh, mental health or about the film at all? I mean, obviously, some of my friends were made aware of it, and some of them watched it, and um, quite a few of them were very impressed. I think my family was really enjoyed. A couple of my family members really enjoyed it, um, and uh, with that, I was open and able to talk about these things because I think they they knew that I was bottling up a lot of stuff. I mean, other than that, though, I think that's yeah, really where it was. Um, I mean, I don't re- I don't know how many people ever watched Anxious Me. I'll have to uh, see it on YouTube how many people did, but uh, obviously multi-million uh, viewership but yeah no some people did uh, bring up to me and ask me about it it was nice to have that chat you know yeah it's on 889 at the moment i think <laughs> on youtube oh, that's all right yeah, yeah. No, that's good well there yeah, will well. be probably so i think from that even with that small amount i think we can take at least there'll probably be one person who was uh looking around found it watched it and probably maybe they have got something good out of it so yeah yeah i've definitely yeah. had a few people message me and say about the film and obviously it's kind of given them the confidence to speak up about anxiety. People that I didn't even know had it, have spoken up mm. about it. Um, yeah, I yeah. watched it again. I watched it again just before we talked to you, Will. And it, I mean, I would, you know, I would really encourage our listeners to watch it. I thought it was excellent. I, I mean, I watched it again. I thought it was excellent at the time. I watched it again and I just thought it was really, really good for people that had suffered anxiety and never spoken about it. I mean, it's a wonderful resource, I think. Yeah, it um, did actually win an award a few years ago for Short Film of the Month uh, for the Australia Short Film Network. Um, and it's been shown in university lectures as well at Kingston Uni. Um, oh, really? Right. Um, oh, so I, I should hang out more at Kingston Uni. I'll be there, I'll be literally, oh, yeah, you're that guy. I was literally, yep, I'm famous now. I'm, fa- I'm a famous guy on campus, yeah. Um, and also we had... Obviously, we had the follow-up film, Anxious Me 2, which was with Mark, obviously, um, and that did pretty well. That ended up finishing same competition, but um, this year, I think it was, and it finished second. Uh, it was runner-up. Um, and that's obviously from ther- uh, Mark's, as a therapist perspective of anxiety, so you get the professional side of it, um, which I, I think was a, a really good follow-up film. Um and obviously really grateful to Mark for doing that um, and agreeing to film and being in, uh, be interviewed. Yeah, oh, I'm feeling really pleased it came second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, but both, are, you know, I would, yeah, I mean, again, just think, I'd encourage the listeners to watch them. But, I, I, you know, I thought the two, yeah, I mean, the two films I think are really good. I know, I, you know, I'm kind of bigging myself up for the second one, but, you know, I, I just think they're a great resource. People, I mean, a bit like this podcast, really. You know, people sharing their, you know, their lived experience of mental health, and then you know, discussion around the kind of things that might help, you know, help them from day to day, you know, manage those conditions. So, yeah, it's good. Um, so, Will, um, what sort of resources do you think um, need to be in place to kind of encourage men to speak up about mental health, and obviously, in general, for people to be more open about mental health? That's a, that's a good question. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if I'm the right person to be able to answer it, Joe. But I definitely think we're the, we're heading in the right direction. Obviously, do, can more be done? Yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think definitely the way that be more people are is more becoming culturally accepted to talk about it. Um, the more like adverts you see, and the more like, for example, you see posters in um. Uh, in what was it in the popular pub chain in the UK, Weatherspoons, they actually have beer mats that say, Is there a mate at this table who isn't there? Maybe you should reach out and check if he's okay. 
I think it's stuff like that. It is, um, yeah, exactly. I think it's stuff like that, which is the right thing. I think place companies as well, big major companies, like especially places you work at, like for example, my recruitment agency, FRG, they are obviously doing a lot of, I get a lot of emails all the time saying, if you need to speak about certain things, wellness Wednesdays or wellness Fridays or wellness uh, awareness, please reach out. And I've done that. And uh, is it, I think is, I think that's the more, I think just keeping doing more and more of the same things, I mean, I don't, I, I, I really don't, I'm not the best to say what, even though I studied politics at university, I don't know what would be the best policy that the government can do. I think definitely there needs to be more resources put into this, because like I said, this is the biggest killer of men in the UK under the age of 45. That needs to be done. I think definitely maybe extra funding um, in terms of what sort of funding and where that funding comes from, that I, I really cannot say. But I think that's definitely what, what can happen. Um, you know, in the short to medium term, long term, I think yeah, it's a whole different other story and something I still need to try and work out, you know? Yeah. And my, my idea, maybe, you know, like a lot of people, especially in the UK um, and men, go to the pubs to watch sport. Maybe they should, pubs could organize maybe like a Sunday evening where you can go and talk about mental health with other men and maybe that and go have a pint. Obviously, maybe you get a free drink for showing up. Maybe that would encourage people to go and talk. Yeah, no, that, that's an idea. Um, obviously, I think you can. I can already speak. There might be some flaws in that. I mean, firstly, obviously, offering free drinks. Well, obviously, alcohol is a depressant. So, I mean, maybe, maybe not maybe alcohol. <laughs> but I think, uh, uh, how about this even better one? Maybe when, obviously, guys go to the pub to watch sport, how about at the halftime break, they have an advert that comes up between the sports saying something like, speak to your mate, or, you know, it's never, it's never, it's, it's okay to not feel okay. Someone could look at that advert and then kick off the conversation. I think initially the first, the first, the first person to kick off the conversation is the most bravest thing to do. And it's a snowball effect, but you need yeah. to have that first trigger. I think just trying yeah. to say, just trying to say, okay, we're going to have this evening on a Sunday in a busy pub. Maybe guys can come around. That might be a bit, a little bit, maybe over empowering. Maybe some guys might feel like, oh, I don't want to do that just yet. I'm not at that stage just yet. However, if you start off small with, let's say, yeah, like adverts, mental health adverts, especially during prime time things like the pub, and I think they have started doing that. I may be, I may be incorrect here, but I think they have started to do that on a small scale. Well, I think actually that could be a great way to uh, do it and actually get people to kick off. Yeah, I love the yeah. idea of the beer mats. I think that's fantastic. And I, and, and I guess for me, more celebrity, you know, there is a bit of this. I mean, there's a lot of celebrities now coming out and talking about their mental health. You know, a lot of them are women. You know, it, it, it's still brilliant that, you know, people really in the public eye are coming out, you know, but, but there's a lot of male celebrities now coming out, sportsmen, you know, talking about, you know, their mental health. There was one that was talking about their, their struggles with bulimia, but I can't actually remember who it was. But, you know, more of that, I think. More, you know, more male figures from the celebrity world, from the sporting world, coming out, talking about their mental health. I think the more that happens, I think the more it becomes normalised. Mm, definitely. Yeah, I think, obviously, having people you idolise speak about serious issues are more likely to encourage you to do because then you realize they're just like you i mean yeah. there's a player that used to play for oh still does guy plays for man united jesse lingard um mm. he his i don't know whether his mum was unwell or something so he pretty much had to raise his sister and that affected his former in football so a lot of people were judging him and saying oh he was a one-off one season wonder and stuff because he had a really good season one year when we had the world cup um, and obviously that criticism is going to hit him hard, knowing 
that he's obviously already struggling because he's having to look after his sister. He's got all the off-the-pitch stuff and then he's got on-the-pitch stuff where people are judging him. And he came out and spoke in an interview about his mental health. And the the difference it's made, obviously, he had a good season last year for West Ham. Because um, I think, uh, obviously, speaking up about it, it's obviously helped him uh, realise that it's okay to talk about it, even if you are famous. Yeah, no, definitely. I've I've always liked Jesse Lingard. I I wasn't aware of that. Uh, I I know he just said one or two things about mental health, but I didn't realise it was. And sometimes that is actually a good thing. Um, I mean, right now, uh, here's a great example of this. I'm surprised we haven't brought it up just yet. But the Olympics right now with Simone Biles. Or if you see Simone right now, is the she's already considered to be the greatest uh, gymnast of all time. And as you can tell from being on the media, she's—I think even just this morning, she's had to uh, she's had to pull out of more events because of uh, her mental health. And I suppose it is quite nice that um, uh, she is—you know—that she's getting a lot of support. And uh, it is very much, uh, yeah, right now. So just this morning, she said that she pulled out from the vault and uneven bar. She's already pulled out from the all-round events and the team events, so she could still compete on the floor and balance beam. Um, and yeah, she claims she has what's, what's known as the twisties. So the twisties are essentially when you're thinking about, um, what was it? Where, when you're thinking so much about in uh, gymnastics, from what I've been told, the twisties are where you overthink things so much you can't actually do a normal twist, which you for years you've probably been able to do without even having to think twice about it. And I think actually this is good. If anything, though, this the fact that she is not forcing herself to go through this, uh, she's not uh, allowing the pressure of being an Olympic uh, gold medalist to go through this, I think is a good thing. Um, I think in years to come, this could actually be seen as a uh, as an eye-opening event, you know, a turning point when it comes to mental health, where people can say, actually, you know what, one of the, one of the top people in their field, one of the top people of all time in sports, a role model to young black girls and to people all across the world, the fact that if she has the, she can say, I'm not right for this, I need to pull out, I think can be a good thing. So yeah, it's good to see that, that she's getting her overall support and not condemnation. There are some people here and there who don't quite understand it, who are condemning her. But I think there, a lot of them are just contrarians, really, who are just doing it for the, you know, for the clickbait. But um, yeah, yeah. it's good yeah. to see stuff like that. Yeah, and it's really amazing. You know, I guess the message... Yeah, I mean, that's so current. I guess the message she's sending is, you know, I'm going to prioritise my mental health over, you know, getting gold medals, which, you know, she's been training for years. You know, she's a top athlete. And I think it sends out incredibly difficult for her, of course, but it does send out a good message, I think, that, you know, the people in the public eye, really famous people, are willing to, you know, prioritise their mental health against, you know, other things. Definitely. I mean, because like as, as people say, she's already she already won golds in Rio and I believe uh, possibly London as well. Like she's already won like world. Uh, she's she's like a five time winner in a row of the world championships. Like she doesn't need to prove much else. She's already proven she is a goat of all time. She's she like the amount of stuff that she's been done. Like there were some uh, gymnastic moves that it was considered that only men could do because obviously they, on average, men have better um, muscle density. And she's actually gone out there and become the first woman to do these, to prove that women can do that, which is amazing in itself. And, you know, the fact is that she has, you know, she's done all this. So she's already proven that, yeah, people call her the GOAT because she is the GOAT. So she doesn't have much else more to prove. Like, if anything, maybe winning a load more golds in Rio would have been the icing on the cake. So it's... um. 
yeah, no, it's it is a good thing to see that people are actually taking account of you know not pushing themselves too far. And you know, I really yeah. admired the. I mean, help me out with the name here, well, but the the, the female tennis player that, oh, that, that pulled out the British. One. Oh, you're talking about uh, Naomi Osaka. Yeah, I mean, I, I I just thought that was amazing, really, that she was, Which, you know, that she was open and just pulled out and said, these things are stressing me out. I'm not going to do them. I thought it was amazing. Especially as well, because I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Naomi Osaka says so she's half American, half Japanese, and she's and she was representing America, uh, Japan. Well, obviously, she was going to be the darling of the game because she was the one who lit the, the cauldron. I didn't watch the opening yeah. ceremony, but I was told that she was the one who lit the cauldron. She was the one who was going to be like, you know... Essentially, like the in the same way that um, who was it? Like Jess Ennis was our golden girl in uh, London 2012. She was going to become that for Tokyo, and she had to pull out. And I think that's actually an incredible. You know, it's just, it's a very brave thing to do. Obviously, because I'm sure there would have been some people out there who were quite upset by that. But at the end of the day, it's not about them; it's about yourself. You have to put your number one when it comes to mental health. Obviously, you have to uh, care about your family and stuff like that. But at the same time, you have to put yourself first. So, definitely, yeah. that is good. Yeah, we had the other tennis player as well, the British one recently at Wimbledon. She pulled out because she had a panic attack as well. I think that was the same person. I think, yeah, Naomi Naomi Osaka pulled out of, I believe, the US Open, Wimbledon as well, and uh, the Olympics. So, yeah, it is uh, the same person here that we're talking about. I think she's just, Uh, I think she has. British one as well that had a panic attack, the youngster that's only just restarted. Got halfway through the game. And said oh yes, the uh, half uh, half English, half Romanian girl, Emma uh, Rad uh, Rad. Uh, here's it, Randu Rand Randu uh, Emma Rad uh, Rad. Yeah, I've just had to look it up. It's she's half uh, Romanian. So it's a hard name. R A D U C A N U. So Emma Raducanu. That's it. Yeah, Emma Raducanu. Yeah, you're right. She had to pull out because she had um. I think, like I said, she was she was a wild card. She did really well. She's playing against one of the best yeah. in the world. Prime time as well. It was an evening prime time show on Wimbledon, so you know all the Americans would have been watching it. And yeah, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, she got a bit better of her, but she's only eighteen. Like you can't expect the. Well, I don't yeah. understand why is it? It's getting more and more. I don't know why I understand why it's kind of getting more and more socially acceptable. We're getting these eighteen and nineteen year olds who are having to go. Obviously, they are the best in the. You know, they are some of the best in the world, and obviously they've got that youth behind them. But at the same time, expecting them. Oh yeah, it's okay if they go on like the finals uh, to pe- take penalties in the finals or have to yeah. you know get prime time slots in Wimbledon. You know, they've got many years ahead of them. We've got at least a good ten, at least a good ten years of uh, athletic ability. Like I said, my dad always used to say. You don't get to your athletic peak until about 28, 29, 30. Yeah, I definitely, um, the response to her having a panic attack from, especially like people like Marcus Rashford came out and said, I've been in the same spot. He was in a FA Youth Cup final and he had a panic attack and he had mental health issues. And a few of the other players, famous people came out um I don't know whether it was Jesse Lingard came out, Jaden Sancho and a few other people came out and uh, showed their support and said they've been in the same position. And just it shows what a different world we live in now compared to like three years ago when we did the film, that there's more understanding of mental health. Um, obviously, it's still not completely there where we'd like it to be, but it's a lot better than it was when we filmed, made the film. I definitely feel like there's a lot lack of resources and I'm sure you agree with me when uh, with the waiting list especially in the UK there's quite a long waiting list unless you go private and it's the same here as well 
And yeah, that, yeah, that no, can no. prove pivotal, especially for someone that's suicidal that needs to see someone. Unless you're, you've actually attempted suicide to go and see someone, um, that you, you have to go on a long waiting list. I think when I went back to the UK, I applied for two. And obviously, I ended up doing it online just so I didn't have to wait for ages because I knew what the waiting list was like from the first time where I had to wait three months to see someone. And then straight after I did online, I did the self-esteem workshop, which they'd registered me for like two, three weeks before I finished online therapy. But that that's a big issue, especially considering how um, dangerous mental health, the impact mental health can have on someone, especially... and. I don't know what it's like now with COVID because I haven't been to see anyone myself here and obviously I don't live in the UK anymore, but um, having a long waiting list when you're depressed can obviously then push you over the edge. Yeah. You feel this, You feel the help is not available. You reach out, you know, you reach out for help and then you're, you know, you're told that you'll get help, you know, in like three months, four months. It, yeah. I mean, it, it it needs to be looked at, doesn't it? I think, without getting into the whole funding, you know, kind of kind of conversation. But yeah, I mean, when people when people need help, they need help. They don't need to wait three or four months for that help. Did you have a long wait, Will, for to end up doing your CBT? Uh, sorry, what was that, guys? You broke off there a bit. So, did you have to wait long to go to your CBT at all? Were you on a waiting list at all? Yeah, there, there was a bit of a waiting list. Um, it took about so my initial when I first reached out to them, they said they would get back to me uh, within uh, a week or so. It actually, took them a month. Then I had my first. Um, then I had my first. Uh, I had my first test, and then they wanted afterwards to do another separate test of me. And they said that separate test would be confirmed within two weeks. I waited two weeks, hadn't heard anything from them. I ended up having to then call them and ask what was going on. They then came back to me and they did apologize, saying, sorry, we've just been so overdone with work. But that's understandable. I was very understanding. And then they then confirmed they'd do another test on me, which would be, I believe, another two weeks after that. It then took that two weeks happened. Um, so, yeah, overall, we're now looking at nearly two months overall. Um, and then after that, I then got a letter saying that they were going to put me through for the next CBT, which was, uh, I believe, another six weeks after that. So it took me about 10 weeks overall. So, yeah, it did take a while. But uh, it, it, it was worth the wait. And like I said, I, I, I would say I feel rather blessed in the sense that compared to some other people, because I was very open and honest about them, I've never felt the need to self-harm or kill myself or anything like that. I, and I, I feel very blessed. I feel very lucky in that sense because some people aren't quite as lucky. So I made them aware of this. I was happy to wait. I wanted to make them aware of this because you could just tell that they were very much over... They were overdrawn uh, in a sense. They, there was a lot of, uh, they didn't have a lot of materials to go around or resources. So, yeah, that, well, that's where, could, where they stood. Well, could I ask you a little bit about the CBT approach? I mean, it seems like the group and the CBT has really, really worked for you. Just just anything you can tell our listeners, really, about, you know, the, the, maybe listeners that haven't had CBT or don't really understand what it is. I just wonder what you uh, could tell them. Yeah. So basically, um, it's a bit, oh, I'm just trying to, there's been so much uh, great. Uh, stuff about it um so really cbt is um what it does it trying to tries to break down and it looks at 
the causes of your worrying. It's called Overcoming Worry, this course is called. And um, what it is, so there's a group of us, there'll be one um, psychologist or one mental health expert there leading it. There's a, um, there's a PowerPoint presentation that we're all looking at because we're all doing this on Teams because of COVID. And what it is, really, it comes down to um, a lot of stuff regarding... Uh, so really just start understanding with the different causes, what causes worry and really it can be broken down into two main groups. You know, there's sort of like hypothetical worries um, and then there are like, if you will, actual worries, stuff like so actual worries could be stuff like money problems or paying your bills or doing this. Hypothetical worries could be, oh, I just met this person. I spoke to them and now I'm worrying about whether I gave up a good impression or not, you know, stuff like that. Um and then really from that point onwards, it then goes down to obviously uh, one of the big things they were doing was worry diaries. Um, so we're doing a lot of record recording of your own worries, like uh, uh, trying to then work out why you're having that sort of worry or why you're having that anxiety over this. So really, uh, there's a lot of different stuff like that, Mark. Um, I'll be honest, unfortunately, uh, we haven't been able to have a CB another CBC session for like the last two weeks now, unfortunately. Our, uh, the expert our uh, group therapist has been off uh, and everything but that's uh, totally fine so uh yeah i'm looking forward to see where the continue where we're continuing on with a lot of this stuff mm. um, how long does your how long is your cbt lasting uh, it's eight weeks it's an eight week course and i believe we're about four weeks into it so we still got like another four weeks to go uh, um and just before we wrap up the episode i just want to ask what advice you'd have for uh, other men and stuff that uh, obviously bottling up their fe feelings and uh, too scared to kind of talk about I, them. Well. If, uh, honestly, my, my first thing would be um, find someone that you love and trust and just be honest and talk to them about it. Uh, because if they love you, then they will be understanding. They won't, they won't degrade you or they won't say that I'll denigrate you. They won't say that, oh, you're being a, a, a wuss or a coward. Um, and I think, secondly, if you can't find someone that you love or trust, then literally just type in. There is help. Like in the UK, we have the NHS. Um, I'm sure in just about every civilised and developed country in the world, there are some charities out there. Honestly, the best thing you can do is just let go in terms of, and when I say let go, let go of what you're bottling up inside. Let it out. Talk about your worries. Talk about, I don't know, you're worried that you don't have a girlfriend or you're worried that you haven't got that promotion at work or you haven't um you know you haven't got uh, a, a lot of money right now or you're worried about how covid is going to affect you in the long run stuff like that it's okay to talk about this it uh, that's the best thing i could come down to it um don't be afraid because honestly once you actually let go I, the big thing i was surprised about was i thought people would call me a coward i thought people would be literally like, oh well something worse man you know man up as he as they, they like to say honestly you'll be surprised how understanding a lot of people were like within our own friendship group obviously joe you've always been very strong and brave to talk about it so i knew you'd be understanding but i didn't know how, what the others would be like and i was very happy when i did talk to them about it and they were very understanding um and also same with my own family and people like that even people like my dad who i didn't expect my dad would be quite as understanding because obviously he came from a different time and place but he was very understanding so yeah honestly be be open about this talk about this stuff that you cannot make anything bad from it well, thank you for joining us. We we'll really do appreciate you coming on the episode and obviously openly talking about our thing. And it's been good to catch up since that anxious me. Um, and if uh, our listeners haven't seen it already, go and watch it on YouTube. It's on a uh, Lion Star Multimedia, or you can just search anxious uh, anxious me, um, where you can see more of Will's story. Um, 
and myself and obviously three and two other people that speak on it um and obviously check out anxious me too with uh mark it's on the same channel it's called anxious me too a therapist perspective um and i just want to say thank you again will for obviously coming and speaking <laughs> yeah absolutely thank you so much for having me on joe um sorry i wasn't able to make it last time and everything like i say sometimes trying to get this all done um at the right time on a weekend when you're so many thousands of miles apart sometimes doesn't work but yeah. it was good. i'm really happy that we were able to do this and listen if you ever need me if you ever want me to come on again um more than happy to um yeah like i said it is uh, cause it, i find it very um beneficial to talk about this stuff and be open because you know there are you, you, like i said you, these things aren't gone it's not like uh, i've survived this and it's it's gone now i'm in remission now you still deal with these issues it's just that I've, I've got better coping mechanisms and you're able to get better at them so no thank you very much and it's great to speak to you as well mark um oh, sorry i wasn't aware that you were actually based in the uk and everything so um it's good to hear that uh you're there and uh yeah definitely hopefully we can do this again sometime yeah really yeah. enjoyed talking to you will thank you and thank you mark for helping host again <laughs> Yep, no um, problem, Joe. <laughs> nice to see um, you. And hopefully episode 13 will be out soon. We'll be discussing the bullying and then eventually we will have the baby episode that we're re-recording um, as episode 14. Um, and to those that are listening at home, please uh, share with your family and friends. And um, obviously remember that you're never alone, as we say every episode, and let's get the stigma, get rid of the stigma behind mental health, especially around men. Um, and remember to open up um, to anyone. Um, as I said before, I'm lucky enough to have friends that understand that are similar situations. But um, honestly, will be a massive weight off your shoulders to talk to someone, even if it's a complete stranger. Like, it does help. And, um, Thank you for listening. Bye, guys. See you, guys. See you. If you're interested in being a guest in any future episodes, um, please contact me via lionstailmultimedia at gmail.com or contact me on Facebook. Um, we are doing an episode on suicide, uh, men and mental health, and then we're doing one on empaths. If there's any topics you'd like to be covered, please let me know also at the email as i mentioned before um thanks again to those that have tuned in and made the pop the podcast as popular as it is if you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes please contact your local or country's helpline you'll find them by going to google and typing in helpline um they have samaritans suicide helpline but remember that you're not alone as the title of the podcast says and there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone but there's always someone there for you to talk to be it a friend a family member a stranger a psychotherapist or doctor there's someone to talk to i've been in that position before and talking to someone really does help it's okay to not be okay and i will see you in the next episode